0: So I put that trade on, but, but not only did I put a trade on when I normally wouldn't put a trade on, I didn't put the risk management stop in. Why? Why didn't I do that, Andrew? Because I had a good day. And plus, I'm going to pick the phone up. I'm right there. I'm going to get out in a flash. Hello
1: fellow risk takers and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning in our community. We know that to win in investing you must take risk but to win big you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research and I'm here with featured guest Dan Gramza. Dan are you ready to rock? I am ready to rock and roll. Oh, yeah. Let's get on with it. All right, audience. I want you to meet Dan. He's president of Gramza Capital Management Incorporated. He is a trader, consultant to domestic and international clients, an advisor to hedge funds, a developer of ETF and ETC securities, and a co-inventor of two issued security patents, as well as one pending, which I just learned about. He has published works and has appeared on numerous media outlets around the world. He set up and ran stock and futures proprietary trading operations, given expert witness testimony in U.S. federal court, has presented courses to traders from over 36 exchanges, 450 institutions, four regulators in 35 countries, and it provides... Listen carefully. Free daily commentary on 21 markets at dangramza.com, which is viewed in over 150 countries. Dan, take a minute, fill in any further tidbits about your life.
0: You know, Andrew, first, thank you for inviting me. I really think what you're doing is so important for all of us, for anyone who puts their money at risk. It's important to think about these ideas. that You're investigating. So first, I'm excited about being here, and thank you for the invite. I guess from what you just said there, my journey surprised me. I never thought I would be doing anything other than trading. Uh, My academic background is I'm an engineer. I have an engineering degree and an MBA in finance, was a registered engineer in the state of Illinois, but the markets have always fascinated me because I felt it was the most efficient way to use capital. You and I can take money and we can build stuff. And I have invested in a company who's doing just that actually. They make stuff and then they hope people buy that stuff and then they make more stuff. Nothing wrong with that. But I felt that if I could take capital and put it in inventory, that's very liquid. I always have a buyer and seller for my inventory. I don't have to advertise. I don't need a budget for that and it's an efficient way to gain risk, to gain exposure, right? It, it Risk is a beautiful thing. It's just a matter of how you and I manage it. That's the key, I think. Okay. So I, I, I've been blessed uh, with the opportunity to have my own journey, but also to share ideas with other people uh, that I never thought I would be doing. But if you want to know that backstory, I can tell you it, it started with the CME group here in Chicago. At the time it was the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and they asked me to teach a course uh, for floor members on trading strategies. And my background is I started with stock options and then I went across from that exchange to the to the Board of Trade actually. And uh, I'm not even sure how they got my name, but this is in the 80s when they asked me to do that. So. I taught this class for the floor members on market profile. They was going well and they said, hey, should we open this to the public? Do you mind? I said, no. A couple of guys came from RBC out of Royal Bank of Canada in Toronto and they went back and they did a little better. And the boss says, what are you doing? Well, we learned it from a guy in Chicago. So to my amazement, Andrew, the word of mouth network, all those institutions that you mentioned, that's how my path crossed them. It's they told somebody in London, who told somebody in Helsinki, who told somebody in Italy. And I circled the globe a couple of times a year with the opportunity to share ideas that I hope will help someone else. It, I've been very blessed by the markets. Let, let me ask you a question about that. Sure, sure. If you go back to that first,
1: you know, the first year of teaching, and you go to today, you're teaching. Mm-hmm.
0: How much has that changed? Hmm, I like that question a lot. Let's think about that. I would say it has become more focused that I, because, you know, I'm trading. You know, I'm 80% exposed to the market right now. Most of my stock portfolio was put together in March of 2009. So I've had those for a while. But I also swing trade. The, those videos that you were mentioning, uh, those are daily charts. Those are swing trades that last from one day to maybe three months. But I, I learned along the way too. Mm-hmm. So I would say refinement is what's happened for me. The, the ability to look at things that I didn't realize I was doing. You know, when you go to share an idea, and I'm sure, Andy, you face this too, and I'm sure the listeners as well, there's things that you do as a trader or as an investor that you don't realize you're doing. And those are the things that I want to share. So it, I'd say that's what's happened to me. It's been more refined because it makes me more aware of what I'm doing. And not, you want to remember the ones that cooperate. But as we're talking about today, the ones that do not cooperate. Yep, exactly. Well, I, I love that concept
1: of focus. I mean, I've been teaching finance now for 26 years. And, oh, um, yeah, my, you know. and one of the things, I, I have an investment in Thailand in, in a coffee factory of, that's owned half by myself and half by my best friend. And he's been running it for 23 years. I'm a shareholder and a director but I don't work in the company. My job is to advise him and the management team on how to improve the financial performance of the company, as well as strategy and the like. And if I look back to the way I helped them 15 years ago, let's say, I think I annoyed them more than I helped them because as an analyst, I got so excited like, whoa, this week, I'm going to talk about net profit margin and next week I'm going to talk about inventory turnover. And then next week, I'm going to talk about asset turnover. And then the next week we're going to talk about, and then before you knew it, what I realized is that the management team is not as interested in finance as I am and that most CFOs speak in a language that most management teams Uh, don't understand. And so therefore, what you have is a management team that doesn't really understand the financial performance of the business. So I actually created something for my company called World Class Benchmarking. And it's a simple one-page document with no financial ratios on it. And I use that on a monthly and a quarterly basis to coach the management team on the performance. It's a scorecard, and everybody knows it's not a balanced scorecard with lots of different things. It's just the financial scorecard. And we've gotten to the point now where we actually pay our bonuses for the whole company based upon the performance of the company using that scorecard. So that is a power of experience, and that is a power Of focus. And I didn't think about it until I heard you say the idea of focus. So thank you for that.
0: Oh, my pleasure. That's a terrific idea, by the way. As a side note, uh, it's interesting what you're saying because there's a number of institutions my path has crossed. In fact, there's one in Australia that I'll be seeing in a few months. The front office, you know, the traders are to the back office where they clear the trades and they do all the bookkeeping and accounting. And then in between, you have the mid-office who do the risk manager, right? And it's not, it wasn't not my idea. I want you to know this. This was the institution's idea because the front office felt the back office didn't know what they were talking about. The back office felt the front office didn't care. And, you know, it was a communication issue. So what they did is I did a course or do a course with them on technical trading strategies, but we bring in the back office, the mid-office people, so they understand the challenges that the, those guys on the front line that are trading, what they deal with. And so hopefully you get a little more appreciation for their challenges and also some of the lingo that comes along with that. So, so I really critical. like your idea. So critical. We all need to be
1: on the same page. I had a teacher when I was young named Dr. Deming, and he Oh. Uh, he, I actually took some classes with him when I was working at Pepsi. I was 25 years old, and he totally changed my life. In fact, I wrote a short book on his teachings, which I call Transform Your Business with Dr. Deming's 14 points. So a lot wow. of what I learned about getting the whole management team involved and getting people to work together came from him. But that's enough about the bio. My gosh, <laughs> we've got a lot we could talk yeah. about, Dan. That's pretty yeah, exciting. I think we do, Andrew. Uh, I think we uh, do. Very exciting. So, But now – it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading
0: up to it and then tell us your story. Here's how it began. Uh, first, I, this is in the late 80s when this happened. And the, the lead up to it is I was co-managing a commodity fund and a stock fund in uh, Hawaii and which is a wonderful place to be. If, if someone's never had a chance to go there, I hope your journey takes you there someday. And it, it's a beautiful place, but the people are amazing. It's, it is it is beautiful. It's a great place to trade from, from one in the morning to about three in the afternoon. I could trade greasy wool in Australia to the Bund in London to the U.S. markets. But the other challenge was I was exhausted because I re-didn't adjust. The fellow I was co-managing with did a terrific job, but that was difficult for me. So quality of life, is this the quality of life I want? And decided to stay in Chicago where I live. And at that point, I set up uh, Grams of Capital Management, actually, with the intent of managing other people's money. I decided not to do that. Uh, so I don't manage other people's funds. I've been a trading advisor for hedge funds, but my focus was on my capital, my trading. All right, so that's kind of what led up to this. Now I'm back in Chicago. It's, I remember it was August. It was a beautiful, sunny day. I was day trading the S&P. Now, to do that at that point, it, we didn't have the facilities like we do today. I was calling the floor. I was calling the CME floor. And when I picked the phone up, that person was right there. So there's no delay, there was a direct line. It was as good as you could get, I felt. And Linco was the name of the company actually. They're not in business anymore, but just outstanding people, great company. So I have the right technology. I have my charts in front of me and I'm looking at this S&P and I'm day trading the S&P. Now this is the regular S&P. There was no mini at that time that came out in 97. I had a very good day. It was, these are trades, Andrew, if you and I were sitting next to each other, you would have done these trades too. It was a day that the market cooperated. I had eight trades, which is not typical for me. If I'm day trading, it's usually around zero to about five trades. Anyways, I had these eight trades. The market would rally and then it would break a little bit. I get out of the trade. I had, here's the process. I would identify the setup, put my stop in for risk, and then I put my entry in, the market would pick me up, it would cooperate, i get out on my first rotation, cancel my sell stop, buy it again if it starts, it had to be a trend day up, so it just kept going up. Had bullish fundamental news, I think it was GDP and something else that came out, market really liked it. Just a, a clean, beautiful day, which don't happen very often first. I mean, that's maybe 2% of the time you see that kind of day. Anyways, it's now 15 minutes before the close. There is no night session. 15 minutes before the close, and I see the same trade setting up. Now, normally at that time of day, I wouldn't trade. Because you are running into the close, and one of the things that starts to happen and it still does around two thirty Chicago time I'm talking about now is when a lot of funds will get allocations and they'll hedge their position or add exposure uh, by using futures so in other words if they if you get three hundred million put in to your fund at at fifteen minutes before the close, you don't necessarily want to pump that into the Portfolio, right? So futures provide that opportunity. Things are orderly. Two thirty comes. Market's doing just what it should do. Had another just wonderful, clean trade. Fifteen minutes to go. The trade sets up. I normally wouldn't do it, but did I do it? Sure, I did it. What the hell? I'm in a good day! What a good day! Mm-hmm. So I put that trade on. But, but, not only did I put a trade on when I normally wouldn't put a trade on. I didn't put the risk management stop in. Why? Why didn't I do? It's a good day. Do that, Andrew. Because I had a good day. I mean, what? The, and plus, I'm gonna pick the phone up. I'm right there. I'm gonna get out in a flash. So, all right. Here's what I do. I put the trade on, and the market actually starts going in my direction. I'm thinking, Wow, this is gonna be a nice way to end the day. And then. I have a mental stop, right? I have a mental stop, and I'm a disciplined guy, I felt. And when it hits that price, if it does, but you remember it hasn't all day, if it does hit my stop price, I will pick that phone up and get out. Well, news came out, and actually the news was that somebody was shot. I don't remember what the world leader was, but the market usually doesn't like that kind of information. And so it creates uncertainty. The market drops straight down, way beyond my imaginary mental stop. I mean, it's gone. And then here's the lethal part. I started to think. I started to justify this trade. I started to say to myself, hey, you know, Dan, it's gone so far. It's probably going to, boom, boom, keeps going down. Now it's probably going to really bounce from, boom, boom, it keeps going down. So by the time I felt so uncomfortable, felt so much pain, was bleeding enough that I finally got out. So I didn't go home with that position, thank God. But actually, the next day it was up. Remember, but here's the one thing I would do very consistently, and that is, this is the day trade. So I would be out before the end of the day, even though I could have kept that. I didn't want the overnight exposure. Remember, I couldn't get out at night. Mm. Anyways, so I'm out, right? Now, I gave back all the money I made that day, plus another 60, well, was thousands of dollars. It, and it's not the point, the money's irrelevant. It, it, it isn't, it, it could have been one dollar. It could have been, you know, a million dollars. That isn't the point. The point is, did I follow my strategy? No. Did I follow my risk management? No. And that was the thing that taught me so much. So let's and get into I, that. Uh, tell us, okay, tell us yeah, about yeah. what lessons did you learn from this experience? Well, 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 first, I learned a lot about me. You know, I, I have to tell you something, Andrew. There was a fellow on the border trade floor when I went over there, and oh, I just lost his name. Anyways, tall, thin guy. He had wavy gray hair, and um, he was in the grain floor, uh, been around forever, and And I guess he saw me, would recognize I'm a newbie and probably don't know, you know, here's the restroom, Dan, go over. It was that kind of thing. Well, he says, you know, Dan, if you're going to survive down here, you have to learn to love to take a loss. Hmm. And I, I have to tell you, Andrew, what went through my mind, I didn't say this to him, but what went through my mind was, well, I'm not really planning on coming down here for loving to take my loss. I mean, it didn't make sense to me at all. But it was such a wise thing to say. Okay, let's go back to what you said to me. What did I learn from it? Well, one, way overconfident. Two, very cocky. I felt invincible at that point because I had a day that went so well for me. I thought, oh my God, how easy is this? Forgetting about all the days that I had challenges. So that overconfidence allowed me mentally to step away from the strategy that served me so well. I hadn't been stopped out all day long. So therefore, I got the feeling I'm not going to get stopped out. I traded in the last 15 minutes. I normally don't trade in the last 15 minutes. So I did not follow that part of my strategy. I took risk way beyond what the trade justified. Right? I mean, would I have had a loss on the last trade? Absolutely. Would I would have had a loss that wiped out my gains that day, plus a few more dollars on top of it? No, I learned a lot about me. I learned that if you're going to have a strategy, you always hear about, you know, have a plan and trade your plan kind of idea. Well, I have to tell you, I guess from my point of view, when I think about this, that overconfidence, that not following my trading strategy, it taught me quite a bit in that regard. It taught me a lot about me. You know, Andrew, I have to tell you something. When I look at this, like what you and I are talking about right now, what pops into my mind when I have a a strategy that is not producing, all right, because before I do the strategy, I have an idea what the production should be. I already have an idea about the risk. But If it's not producing, then I ask myself these three questions. Mm -hmm. First, am I following the strategy? Because I am the weakest link. If you have a person that's doing the trade, they are the weakest link. If you have a person creating the trading strategy that's automatically going to be traded by a computer, they're the weakest link. So I ask myself, did I follow the strategy? In other words, if I hesitate before I get in and I hesitate when I get out, if that's my strategy, then I should follow. If my strategy says, hesitate when you get into trade, hesitate when you get out. If it doesn't say that, I'm doing a different strategy, right? Exactly. So th- th- that's right. one thing I, yep. I want to find so out about you. Number two would be, has the market changed? What you and I would see 20 years ago, pick a market, and what we'd see today, are the volatility characteristics the same? Would this trading strategy produce the same amount that it would have then? Should my trade expectations change because volatility now is higher or lower? I used to day trade too, which is the NASDAQ ETF. That used to move about $5, $5 a day. I'd look for a dollar. That was my objective. Well, after 2003, that market, if I still wanted to make my dollar, that market shrunk down to about $1.50 a day was the range. And if I didn't make an adjustment, I'm asking something that the market can't give me, which I always want to be sensitive to. Great. Am I asking something from the market the market can't give me? Mm.
1: Okay. The third thing third question the third thing
0: that, yeah, the third thing I ask myself is then I look at my trading strategy. Do I need to make an adjustment? Is my risk management too tight because i 'm getting stopped out of good trades? Is it too loose because i 'm now taking far more risk than I need to for the production of that trade? So from my point of view, what I learned from that was this kind of investigation process that I think it's it's so important. And you know, I've used this so many times, Andrew. Mm. And it's helped me. It's helped me develop other strategies.
1: Yep. So let me let me summarize what I take away from that. Um, and having talked to so many different people about this, I think one of the things that's very clear is, and for this is let's say for the listener, is that you've got to find the strategy that suits yourself. There's some people that can't stand day trading. There's some people that love it. There's some people that like to trade on the news. There's some people that say, I don't want to watch the news. Whatever it is. So some people say, okay, I want to invest in something that I don't have to look at for five years. You know, Whatever your strategy is, find the one that's right for you. Find the books that are right for you. Find the teachers that are right for you and start to implement your strategy. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the best strategy. Thing that I can see the second thing I like what what I think we can take away from this is question yourself and ask I like what you said is I am the weakest link the human mind the human emotion that is the weakest link but that's not enough unfortunately the markets are very complex you must also question your model and when you question your market the model you're also questioning the market and you're asking the question, first of all, is this a good model? Did it work over a long period of time? Did it only work during a period of time when the market was uh, you know, really cheap and so everything went up? Does it work in down markets? If the market were to crash, is this gonna work? Well, maybe not. So understanding your model and questioning your model is critical. And I think the last thing that I would take away is that find the model that's right for you, the methodology that's right for you, question that model, but ultimately, stick with that model. And what I mean by that is that sometimes if you look at, for instance, I use a model that I call FVMR, which is basically fundamentals, valuation, momentum, and risk. I look at every stock in the world on these four factors. And then I build a portfolio that's a three-month portfolio with stop losses in that portfolio. And that's the way I look at it because it it fits my mentality. And the, the thing about that model is that if I go into a down period where the model is underperforming, Of course, I'm gonna question the model. But when we question the model, we have to think of, wait a minute, is it just possible that this model's not working for a period of time, as any model can't work every time? And if a model could not work for one month, two months, three months, four months, five months, six months, seven months in a row, it's statistically possible that that can happen. So then it really gets tough about questioning the model because then you have to think, Oh, crap, do I need to change this model? But be very careful in changing a model because you may end up recreating a whole new model a model that will outperform in this new down market environment. And all of a sudden, towards the end of this down period, you'll have reconstructed a market model that works for you at that time. And you've now created a defensive model. And then the market will shoot up and you'll miss it. (laughs) So very true. those are the things, I mean, I I don't have that in a very structured way, but I think those are the things that I take away. Have I missed anything?
0: No, I think those are right on target. I I think it's important that... We understand the strengths and weaknesses of anything that we use to expose capital to the market, to risk. By that, you know, as you mentioned, when does it work? When does it not work? There's an, an institution in Europe that I recently done some things with, and basically the the issue was not their model, but it was asking something from the market, the market can't give them. So the conclusion to this was when to turn it off. That's the issue. Yep. When you, in other words, when is when are you going to be pushing it in a way that it's just not really designed for, or circumstances have changed and they're not designed for. Yep. Yep. So I think understanding those weaknesses as well as the strengths are important. But you know, Andrew, I think it's important that you and I and the listeners have these answers before we ever expose money to the market. I I wanna know, if I know my entry and exit, then I know what the profit production could be. How much risk do I have to take to get that profit? What's the frequency of trade? Do I have a trading edge? If I do this over a large period of time, will this be productive? What's the frequency of trade? Does it work well in trending sideways, downward markets? Do I, does it work two hours a day but forget about it for the rest of the day or the first week of the month or whatever it may be? I did a, a crude oil trade for the Japanese group, and it was based upon looking at a daily chart and recognizing when we had the biggest volatility. So it doesn't have to be complex, as you know, and yep. the listeners know yep. too. Yep. Yep. But if, if we have those answers, then I think what you and I do when it comes to trading is very mechanical. Yep. I love so that. So now my job is to, just to be consistent. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, let's,
1: we're going to wrap this thing up, but I just want to take away one thing from that. I love what you said when you said about – I'm just I'm talking to the listener now. Listener, are you listening? I'm talking to you. You're sitting in front of your computer, you're trading, things are going well. And what Dan said, I want you to remember forever. He said, what what was it that Dan said that that started things going wrong and that is, he said, I started to think. And that means that He had his structure. He knew what he was going to do, but he didn't follow his system at that moment in time, and then whole thinking and emotional process started and blew it up. So I want to tell that listener out there who's in that situation right now, make sure you've got your system. Don't let your thinking and your emotion in the middle of it uh, shut it down. Follow your system. So Dan, based on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our leaders, listeners take to avoid suffering
0: the same fate? Well, first, I agree with what you just said. And my thinking was in the middle of a loss, the worst time to think about what to do with a loss is when you have a loss. And that should never, never happen. We should always have our risk management plan before we ever expose capital because we don't know when it's not going to work, and every trade is not going to work. I, w- I would just actually, a couple thoughts quick, Andrew, is one, this isn't personal. You and I make business decisions, and so do the listeners. We're risking capital to the market, and it, so it's a business decision, and we're trying to make an informed business decision, and it has an outcome. Profit, no profit. It cooperates, it doesn't cooperate. I don't say I'm right or wrong. It doesn't make me a good person, bad person, smart person, stupid person, it's just a result. And like any business decision, you and I wanna be informed. So answering those questions about profit, risk, the edge that we need and the frequency of trade are important because it allows us to build that strategy so that all we have to do is implement it. And I would say the one thought would be this, that now that we're talking actually, it's consistent, patience. And here's what I mean by that. Consistent in that the analysis process to determine the strategy that we're going to use to answer the questions about risk of loss, profit, profit management, trade exit, and trade entry. If I have those answers, that's the consistent part. And then patience. I think it's one of the biggest challenges for traders or investors. Being patient enough to wait till we have the answers to those questions. (laughs) Being patient enough to wait until the market gives us that opportunity. Being patient enough to, once we get into trade, to let the trade do its job, you know? And all those things I violate in some ways with that trade I just told you about. Fantastic, well, I'm gonna gonna hold up a planner book that I
1: use, and you can see (laughs) what it says.
0: Yeah, plan your work, work, work your, your plan. plan. All right, so there now, you go, buddy. That's this is, it.
1: This is a, 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 a planner book that I created and I, uh-huh. use, I use every day. And it's my system. But I'm just thinking, plan your trade, trade your plan. There you go. Bingo. All right. All right, listeners. There you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk. Visit my worst investment ever. As we wrap up, Dan, thank you for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Now, do you have any parting words for our
0: audience? I would say this. I find looking at my losses refreshing. And the reason I do is my losses have taught me trades as well. My losses tell me, am I following my strategy? Am I not following my strategy? Has something changed? So the losses are a very important parameter that I don't think, no matter how successful we are, we don't want to forget about. And again, Andrew, just thank you for the opportunity today. I wish everyone much success in your trading and investing, and I hope our paths cross again.
1: Yeah, fantastic. And for the listener, don't forget to go to dangramza.com and check out Dan's weekday morning show where he's talking about 21 futures and option markets and all kinds of other tidbits, I'm sure. So check that out. All right, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.